Hello, good evening and welcome to another edition of Straight Talking English. This one is the first one, number one of season four. Oh my god, are you excited? Because I'm really excited. Of course, season four is going to be revisiting the context of the anthology poems, but in a little bit more detail this time. When I say a little bit more detail... I mean, there are like 25 books on my desk in my spare room on my days. I am, of course, Catherine, your host, STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com. Buy my books, buy my books, buy my books. They are all on Amazon, Patreon, forward slash straighttalkingenglish.com. English. If you donate to my show, you will get a shout out and you can commission me to write a special episode on anything you like. Woo! Okie doke, that's a lot of the admin done. A little bit more admin, as if, as if there's always some more. This is your insight into what I was like as a form tutor, by the way. So, I wanted to do a background episode on the 18th century and then I realised, oh my gosh, so many books have already been written about this and it's such a game of two halves that to kick off this season we are going to do a two-parter because I just can't cram it all in one episode. So today is briefly subtitled Revolutions, Rebels and Romantics. This episode I'm going to talk to you about all the good stuff, all the cool stuff that's happening in the 18th century and next episode I'm going to be talking to you about all the rubbish stuff. Right, let's get cracking! So why am I even talking to you about the 18th century? This is not a history lesson, this is not history GCSE. Well, here's the thing. Our poets, at least for the first bit of the anthology, Byron, Wordsworth, Blakey and Shelley were born in the 18th century. In fact, Blakey was about 37 when he wrote London. So we can't really talk about Queen Victoria or Victorian England in the same way that we did with the 19th century books. We've got to talk about the 18th century. And these are the kind of values that our poets will have lived, breathed, talked about. This is what is going through their heads. 18th century is a long period of time. So yeah, if it starts with the 17 in the year, that means it's 18th century. So let's talk about some good things. The standard of living for the average person increased at this point in time. We as the UK are growing as a naval power. We can access cool stuff like cups of tea, like cotton, like silk, like all these nice things. We've got luxury goods. We've got shopping. For the first time ever, we've got shopping. Society is becoming more refined and genteel. Think Pride and Prejudice. Think lovely Mr. Darcy. And I'm going to show my age now. Google this if you're young. Mr. Darcy getting out the lake you know a lot of the um 
the passions and conduct of the Jacobean era. A lot of the worries, they've gone. People are we're doing good, we're feeling optimistic. We've got a lot of rules. Not necessarily rules written in stone, but rules about how we behave. But, of course, if you're out of line, then you can expect to be the victim of satire because ladies and gentlemen if you are going to share your passions and your opinions you need to do it through wit humor and satire now i had to put this on facebook actually because i was completely perplexed despite teaching this as a unit twice i could not define satire which is really really bad I kept mixing it up with parody, which is a different thing. So satire, we are deliberately exaggerating something to make a point. The classic is um, Jonathan Swift, the man that wrote Gulliver's Travels. He wrote a really, really famous book, pamphlet, thing that said the solution to people starving in Ireland was cannibalism was to get to them to eat their own children um it's called a modest proposal it's supposed to be this like sharp satire like I just think it's a bit gross and as I mentioned when I taught this it was included in the unit on humor and having to try and explain to year eight why the idea of people eating their own babies is funny. I was like, oh my days, I'm not paid enough. So this is different to parody. Parody is Think South Park, where you get something funny. We You take a contemporary thing and you try and make it funny. Whereas satire is more like Black Mirror, the show that I can't watch without having a panic attack no 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 I did watch the first series and I had nightmares about that white bear episode but at some point I'll be able to watch it again it's not there to be funny it's there to be exaggerating something to make a point while also entertaining we've also got journalism oh my gosh so newspapers are starting to be a thing journalists writing for the public as a column that's that's the thing people do now that's the thing news isn't necessarily like an oral thing like guess what i heard the other day it's written in print big names people like daniel defoe um oh what did he do the one where the man's on the island and i really want to say shipwrecked but that's not anything oh my god it's going to come to me uh no 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 leave it for now i'm gonna think of it robinson crusoe robinson crusoe and jonathan swift of gulliver's travels so i am currently turning this whole project into a youtube series and um we did the first day of filming on saturday and i completely forgot the name jonathan swift and just started cussing because i was like oh fudgesicles i cannot remember it um and i'm gonna have to do some really creative editing because my lack of memory for names uh just just ruined a bunch of stuff but out of out keep on track keep on track the out of journalism come 
becomes a strange and crazy thing. The idea that instead of writing non-fiction, we could write something fictional. And it could be both entertaining and useful. It's the novel. The novel as a form becomes a thing. It's not poetry. It's not plays like people can pick up a book. That's another really good thing as well. On the whole, people are becoming more and more literate. We've got the start of this reading public, the idea that the man in the street is going to go out and buy a book or a pamphlet or something. Your every man on the street is getting a lot more informed. I mentioned that Britain consolidated naval power. We, when I say we, I mean the citizens of the British Isles. Uh, we are the number one. We are number one at sea. Not really on land. At sea, we're doing really well. This is the era where the British Empire, which I discussed in uh, the Sign of Four Empire episode, this is where that starts happening. And I know this is the good side of things, but we're at the point in history where people don't really see any potential problems in that your average man on the street is like awesome awesome we have an empire i can get all kinds of good things obviously before you say it and i can i can see the cogs in your mind working this is the era of slavery i am going to talk about that next episode because i want to keep the grimness and the more upbeat stuff separated just to psych myself up for the grimness we, this is the era of scientific innovation. Business and science are going hand in hand. Steam engines are used in factories, which means more profit. In fact, the idea of capitalism at all, the idea of I'm going to do this thing to get rich rather than I'm going to do this thing to survive or because it's what my family have done, that's a new thing. Farming is no longer like one guy, one plow. It's actually something you do to get rich. And um, with the idea of science coming in, it's things that you do to improve things. It's an idea of improvement. So factories, according to people who own factories, are much, much, much better than farms because you organise everyone in one place and it's very efficient you've got your average cow it's sitting there kind of scrawny no 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 through science we're going to breed them to be really big chunky cows and then we get more milk and cheese i'm really not up on this kind of thing i mostly read this all in peter Ackroyd's history of england volume 4 revolution and also, being from South London, I don't really know what farm animals are. I saw some in a picture once. But you get these chunky cows. Electricity. It's a thing. The streets of London are lit by gaslight at the end of the 18th century. Canals are built. You can get from A to B. Not only you, but your stuff. Really, really quickly. We're just before the era of the steam train. We've not got there yet. But um, we are getting around the country 
a lot quicker improved carriages. This was a horrific fact I learned today. Up until the early 18th century, the roads had not been improved since Roman times. And there's an instance of a dude making his will <laughs> before taking a carriage up to Scotland. No more, no more. Profit is driving things. So the government are like, if you take responsibility for this section of road, you can collect a toll on it. And generally people could get around faster. Back to the canals. These are, are actually a, apparently a really big deal. Like, rather than try and send all your goods overland, just build like a high-speed canal between North London and Birmingham and get them the same day. I mean, talking of Birmingham, which is definitely... Uh, I was going to say something rude about Birmingham, but I lived in Coventry for four years, and I actually have a bit of a soft spot for Birmingham. My friend Liz, who is a fantastic, fantastic teacher and a brummy, would, I'm sure, enforce, <laughs> enforce my support of Birmingham. But... Birmingham becomes a thing. It stops being a village. We've got this growth of the town. The big industrial towns, Manchester, Birmingham, these are springing up because science is creating business, is creating towns, is fueling more science, is fueling more business, blah, 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 blah. It's all co-mingled. One of the interesting things about all of this, though, is how much it links into religion. So a lot of these dudes who are, like, people who run iron factories, I literally can't remember any names, I've been at work all day, sorry, are what's called non-conformists. And I really love this because if I was 15, I would have said that was like emos or goths or something. <laughs> no, I genuinely miss being a teenage goth. Um, those of you who've met me know the like, short black hair, dress a little bit punk. Um, being 15 and hanging around Camden Market with a fiver, it's such a beautiful, innocent time. But a real non-conformist, not me and my mates in uh, Papa Roach hoodies, <laughs> really oversized age 15. No, 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 a real non-conformist is someone who follows a denomination of Christianity that is not one of the big ones, that is not Church of England or Roman Catholic. People like the Methodists, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, is the dude, the dude we associate with this. He is spreading a new kind of faith that is not necessarily C of E and differs. Quakers are another denomination. Basically, as long as you sort of kept your head down and weren't doing strange things like those snake handling churches I've seen on Vice documentaries, then you're probably okay. Nonconformists were a little bit separate. So again, call some of my filming. Um, William Blake, the first poet I'm going to talk about once I've done this 18th century bit, is um, 
buried in a special cemetery in Bunhill Fields, which is next to Old Street Station in London. So they are separated, our nonconformist bods, but they kind of just they kind of tolerate it. There's legislation passed as well that means Catholics are officially tolerated legally. Um, I will come on to this next time. It is not always the case. Life is also kind of rotten for being a Catholic. But legally, they are no longer barred. I learnt this from a Simon Sharma, actually. Uh, Jewish people are officially allowed back into England, which is uh, very good if you're a Jewish person who wants to live in England. They don't crop up very much in our story, so I'm sort of glossing over that. But... London becomes a place where Jewish people are free to live and work, which is awesome. However, we also get a lot of the old superstitions remaining. Apparently, London was this really, really superstitious place where if you, like, you know, you did the wrong thing, it would mean bad luck. You know, like, if you wore opals, which is a superstition my mother told me about, I don't quite get it. Or you opened an umbrella indoors, then you are in for a whole mess of trouble. Let's talk about other good things, Len. Let's talk about freedom, liberty, equality, fraternity, all the good things. So, we are moving away from the age of the autocratic ruler. We are nowhere in the course of history near having a democracy or anything that we would recognise as being anything approaching universal suffrage. But lots of smart people are talking about freedom and equality big name I want to mention to you because he comes up with Blake and he's going to come up again and again and again Thomas Paine P-A-I-N-E rights of man and common sense are his big things so Thomas Paine was kind of the big guy for um, the American Revolution, which I'm going to come on to in a sec. Basically, if the government are not looking after you, then you need to have a resolution. Resolution? Ah! Revolution. Revolution is justified if it means creating liberty. All right, all right, cool, cool. Seems legit. There are other people as well who are talking about this. Wilkes and Godwin. Wilkes is going to come up next episode. And Godwin comes up in the Shirley bits. Basically, we all have an equal right to property. Having a ruling class that's based on history as being the rulers, that's really stupid we all have the right to equality we all have the right to do what we like within reason all right all right cool that's pretty good i like this obviously there is a pushback there is going to be a pushback that we will talk about in a little government should be conducted 
for the common interest of society and the common rights of man. Aristocracy is contending for the authority of the dead over the rights of the living. Taxes were not raised in England to carry on wars, but wars to carry on taxes. We need to be rising up to have liberty. Ooh. Everything is just corruption, writ large, W-R-I-T. American Revolution, 1776. The King George III, who is known as being mad. He probably wasn't, to be honest. He probably had a nervous condition, but like categories of madness are sort of broad. George III was raising taxes unfairly. The American colonies considered the largest part of the British Empire at that point, said no taxation without representation. And all of a sudden, these 12 colonies, which were considered the foundation of the British Empire, are claiming to be an independent nation called America. All around the world, people are looking towards them. They are looking towards this newly founded government who want to establish life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, who are writing their own constitution, who are being reasonable and rational. This is a good thing. People are happy. People are expressing what they want from their future. Generally, this ties into a big word that you're going to hear called the Enlightenment and rationality. So the Enlightenment's kind of not really applicable because it was mostly a European thing. Like, by Europe, I mean, like, mainland. But, kind of, kind of works here. Kind of works. The focus is away from being things being generically, you know, God did that. To people investigating and trying to understand things a bit more. Understanding things rationally through reason becomes kind of the watchword for how to do things. Big name, of course, Isaac Newton, uh, hey of the apple on the head, fame. If we can see it, we can observe it, we can study it, we can find out more about the world and we're not going to be content with explanations like, God did it combination of this whole enlightenment rationality thinking is the french revolution of 1789 basically due to being skint louis the 14th absolute ruler of france decided to call a parliament first time anyone had done it in 150 years kind of just sort of was like oh okay i'll invite some people that weren't the priesthood or the aristocracy times are changing mate the what's called the middling sort people who've made their money not through inheritance but through commerce and professionalism are not included in this parliament or they're kind of given a bit of a nod this is the change that's happening everywhere by the way money isn't just coming from what your dad gave you money is now something you're earning we're getting the rise of the middle class we're getting not necessarily a leveling of society but things are generally getting you know there are ways up that aren't necessarily like marrying the king but anyway louis the 16th um kind of ignores them these smart guys are like well up yours 
we're going to make our own constitution. It is going to be amazing. And France becomes a republic. This is a very, very, very short and inaccurate version. And when I get around to writing the book for this, I will go into it in more detail and probably get it right. We have liberty, equality and fraternity. We are out with the Ancien Regime, with the old order. And we are in with things like being an atheist and having your own property and not an absolutist ruler and studying and educating people. And a lot of folks are very, very hopeful that this is going to be the way forward we've got it we've got science we've got new inventions we've got rationalism we've got republics and democracies people are thinking you know what 18th century is looking pretty good if you happen to be a relatively educated relatively um on the ball male but your life expectancy is also looking good. Life expectancy pre-18th century was 25. I would be considered a, wizen considered a wizened old hag at 32. And it then goes up to 41. So that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's all relative. It's, it's just, yeah. <laughs> so that is my brief rundown through all the cool and awesome stuff that was happening when our romantic poets were writing this is the background that they're coming from I'm gonna come back next week for part two which is the flip side of the coin the grim and horrible and awful things which are happening in the 18th century both those sides are addressed by a romantic poet so i'll give you both sides of the coin before i start going deep 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 into the context right i'll leave you there for today straighttalkingenglish.com stra talk english on twitter patreon slash straight talking english support the show look on amazon for the full context series because it's very 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 very, very good and i'll speak to you next week